I guess I want to tell the story of the journey that I made from pro bono lawyer to the first openly gay state senator and then first openly gay city council person in Kansas City. Welcome to the Paris of the Plains from Kansas City. I'm your host, Matt Hodap. In 2006, Jolie Justice was elected the first openly gay senator in the state of Missouri. In 2015, she was the first openly gay council member for Kansas City, where she currently serves. During her time in Jefferson City, she faced sexism and homophobia, but overcame both to change hearts and minds. This is a story of progress and bravery. This is Councilwoman Jolie Justice. The year was 2006. I was at a fundraiser. It was February. And at the time, our state senator was Charlie Wheeler. Charlie had announced the night before that he was not going to be running for re-election. And folks, that was the buzz of the, the fundraiser. And folks were saying, well, who's going to run and, and that sort of thing. And I had never really thought about running for office. There had been sort of something in the back of my mind that said I never wanted to be either a lawyer or a politician because my dad was both and I was slowly <laughs> creeping in that direction. And so um, one of the things that um, I was doing that morning though is I was having some Bloody Marys. And one of the people next to me kind of ribs me and says, you should run for that. And I took a swig of my Bloody Mary. I said, yeah, I should run for that. And the reality was that uh, too many people heard that. And by the end of the day, I was flooded with phone calls from people who said, you really need to do this. It really didn't come into, I think, our minds that what a big deal this was going to be um, as far as the first openly gay state senator until we all sat down together and really looked at what a monumental task this was going to be to get elected. The LGBT community in Kansas City had just come off a very hard fight in 2004 where we were one of the first states in the union that had an anti-marriage amendment. 71% of the people that voted said that they were um, in favor of marriage being defined as between a man and a woman. And so um, we didn't know whether me being an openly gay woman was going to be a problem. There were some whisper campaigns every now and again. I would be, I would be cc'd or bcc'd on an on an email that had gone out among some of the political classes about how um, Julie Justice is a wild lesbian from the inner city, and uh, we really can't risk sending someone like that down to Jefferson City at this time. None of that was in the um, debates. None of that. That was in any of the mailers that went out or television ads. It just wasn't that way. But what we did is we put together an army of people who believed in the cause. And we shipped out and we knocked on doors and we knew exactly how many votes we needed to win. And we got out and we identified those folks and we got them to the polls in August. Justice won the Senate seat by 44 percent. Now that she knew how her district would react to an openly gay senator, she had a whole new group of people to worry about. Jefferson City. How would they react? I didn't know what to expect. I had kind of done some research on some of the folks I'd be serving with. There was a particular senator, for instance, out of 
south central Missouri West Plains. And the year before I got there, he had made some headlines because he stood up on the Senate floor during a debate between cable industry and the telephone industry. And he'd offer an, offered an amendment banning the showing of the movie Brokeback Mountain on um, Missouri airwaves. Um, of course, Brokeback Mountain was about two men and their unrequited love. And um, he claimed on the Senate floor, the senator did, that John Wayne had visited him in a dream the night before and told him there was no such thing as gay cowboys. When you first get elected to office, everybody goes on a bus tour of the whole state and you get on a big bus and you drive around and you go to all the prisons and hospitals and schools and, and you learn where all the state money goes and, and, and everything that we need to know to be good legislators. And, and I was getting off the bus in Farmington, Missouri. As I hopped off the bus, there was this huge man standing there a big white guy, probably 6'4", six, 6'5", six, probably 250 to 300 pounds, no neck, completely bald. And he sticks his hand out and he says, Senator Justice, he said, I'm the redneck homophobe who banned gay marriage in the state of Missouri. This guy actually had carried the bill in 2004 that allowed the anti-marriage amendment to be put on the ballot statewide. So this guy had been the proponent of this issue. And I didn't know what to expect from this guy. I mean, I just looked at him and I said, and I knew that this was sort of a turning point because I thought I can either engage and just plow right in with this guy or I can, you know, be a jerk. And I just stuck my hand out and shook his hand and said, nice to meet you. And I made the decision at that point that I was going to, um, I was just going to face this head on. And I was just going to, the same way I had done and, and everything else in my life, I was just going to go in and do my job and people would like me or not. And the sexuality piece would frankly, hopefully by the time it was over, be just sort of a footnote. I was always surprised Okay, the level of sexism that is perceived coming out of Jefferson City is real, and um, it is as bad as everyone thinks it is, and it has been getting worse. Um, it was very difficult being a woman. A lot of the senators thought that they could bond with me because I was a woman who was in a relationship with a woman, and therefore they could degenerate into locker room talk and that sort of back room with a scotch and a, you know, a cigar and that they could talk about the interns. They very quickly found out that they could not talk that way around me. I um, would, you know, I, I've punched people um, you know, <laughs> when on the floor when some senator would say some salacious remark about an intern walking by and I would punch the man and remind him that that was a woman who was his daughter's age and that um, we're here to legislate and, and um, that he wasn't going to have those conversations at all but definitely around, around me. And so I didn't tolerate it but it was a hard, it was a difficult burden to carry to um, have to sometimes juggle this openly gay woman trying to fit in and be one of the guys with my um, you know feminism and and the fact that I was for the first time in my life running into sexism yeah it Jefferson City is as bad as as everyone says and I'm hoping that the light that has been shed on it is going to be a significant game changer. It did become clear, though, 
how important it was at some point to actually have an openly gay person at the table. And I always tell folks when I'm talking to them about really any interest group, if you don't have a seat at the table, you're probably on the menu. Because what happens is people, when you are not in the room, feel very free to talk about you. But when you're in the room, they have to start talking to you. A year later, I wasn't surprised when this happened, but um, it was still kind of funny. I'm sitting in my office, and, and in Jefferson City, you have your inner office, and then your, your staff sits in the outer office. And I hear um, a staff member run into the outer office and, and saying, is Senator Justice here? Is Senator Justice here? And I'm just listening as my staff handles the request. And they said, well, what's wrong? And they said, well, um, the senator needs, needs her down the hall there's there's a gay man in in his office and uh, I just giggled to myself because I thought okay this is fine and so I just popped out and I said what can I do and he said well there's a gay man in the center's office and he needs you to come down and so I said fine and so we walked I walked down to the office and it was the same senator who had introduced himself to me on the bus tour as the redneck homophobe who had banned gay marriage in the state of Missouri and in his office were some LGBT constituents from his community and he looks up at me he says Joe Lee and a lot of the southern guys would call me Joe Lee and he said, Joe Lee, um, did you know that you can get fired in the state of Missouri for being gay? And I said, yeah, I knew that. I um, actually have a bill to fix that. Um, and uh, we're trying to work on that. And he said, well, that ain't right. He said, uh, Jesus wouldn't fire anyone for being gay. And I said, no, I suspect he wouldn't. And, um, and so he said, well, you know what? Let's fix this. And I said, all right. And so at that minute, I picked up um, a Republican co-sponsor for my legislation, which would add LGBT individuals as a protected class under Missouri's non-discrimination laws. And over the next eight years, we just chipped away at the opposition and we were this weird pair. It was a really good relationship. And frankly, over the years, um, he reached out to me several times and asked for assistance when his best friends back in Farmington, when their son came out to them as gay and, and he wanted to um, run away to Los Angeles. I helped him find some resources in the St. Louis area for teens that are, are coming out as gay. And I had other senators come to me when their own family members were coming out or transitioning. It became clear to me that it was incredibly valuable to have me at the table. And I think when it was all said and done, um, the value of having someone down there, even on the tough days, uh, really was significant because we were able to, for instance, the second to the last year that I was down there, we actually passed the non-discrimination bill out of the Senate. It had never had a floor debate before, that sort of thing. We actually passed it out of the Senate. In order to get it out, I had to get nine Republicans to vote with me, and they did. And so that was a big landmark and a big deal. And when we looked at the map of the floor of the folks who had voted with us for um, you know getting rid of discrimination most of the Republicans who voted with me were the folks who sat around me on the floor which I think really says a lot about the importance of having diverse voices uh, at the table because once you get to know someone you really are able to start to walk in their shoes. Justice never got to see the Missouri Non-Discrimination Act pass but during this year's State of the State address, Governor Nixon called on the 2016 legislature to once again look at this issue. There is more to be done. It's unacceptable that Missourians can still be fired for being gay. That's wrong, and it's not who we are, and it must change. I repeat my call for the General Assembly to pass the Missouri Non-Discrimination Act, which would prohibit discrimination against LGBT Missourians in employment, housing, and public accommodations. Let's get that done. 
Missouri is one of 28 states that do not include LGBT individuals in their non-discrimination policies. Quite frankly, I find it almost unfathomable that people actually oppose, which translates to favor discrimination. This year, Senator Joe Cavani, a Democrat from St. Louis, filed the Missouri Non-Discrimination Act, which would prohibit the termination of LGBT individuals based on gender identity or sexual orientation. This is yet to be uh, put on the floor, on the calendar on the floor. Um, he hasn't taken it in from committee. But hopefully in the next couple of weeks, with a little prodding, um, I'll be able to get it to the floor. We can at least move this the discussion a little further along. Earlier in February of 2016, the bill passed through the Senate's Progress and Development Committee, the committee that Kaveni chairs. But he's been here before. He filed the same bill last year and no debate was held. Kaveni fears the same will happen this year. This is an election year and where the Missouri General Assembly is overwhelmingly conservative, so it's not really one of their banner uh, uh, issues. Um, they just assume it go away. Um, so I'm optimistic, but overly optimistic, no. About two years before I finished, I made the decision I wanted to come back and get involved in city government. I had read a New York Times editorial about how all of the amazing things that are happening in government right now are happening at the big city level. That Anything interesting and progressive is only happening there because D.C. is a gridlock, state capitals are a gridlock, so let's try to do this back home. I knew that my councilwoman was going to be termed out and would no longer be able to run for re-election, and I made the decision I wanted to do that. It was only after I was all in that someone came to me and said, you know, there's never been an openly gay city council person in Kansas City, and I thought... Well, that, that can't be. I mean, this is Kansas City. We've now elected a senator and a state representative. Um, I, I don't feel like this is a community that has really turned its back on the LGBT community. Yeah, I think what's really great about um, Kansas City is most of the protections that we don't have across the state or the nation we have in Kansas City. So uh, as far as proactive legislation that needs to be moved forward, I can't really think of anything. Um, we had, it was the mid-90s when we passed our human rights ordinance that added only sexual orientation um, to our um, non-discrimination laws in Kansas City. Um, I'm very thankful that in the 2000s, um, we had a progressive city council that unanimously added gender and gender identity to that group. So we have those protections here. Uh, there were some issues relating to um, equal treatment of benefits for our city workers uh, because of the marriage problem, but the marriage problem is gone now. And so frankly, at this point, I think that as an LGBT community, what we need to be focusing on is making sure that our entire community feels safe and um, welcoming. And so to that extent, I think that we as a leader, I want to focus on making sure that communities of color, and in particular our transgender communities, have a safe place to be able to live their lives and that um, we make sure that everyone within city government has the training that they need, whether it's a social service or a police or that sort of thing. At this point, I am up to my eyeballs in airport and violence and um, working on economic development incentives and um, mediating codes fights between neighbors and you know 
trying to get a stoplight removed or put in. I mean, that's what I spend my time on, which is pretty amazing when you think about it, because when you look back at the history of openly gay elected officials, I suspect it wasn't as easy. Uh, and so I stand on the shoulders of folks who had to work a lot harder than I do when it comes to LGBT equality. And so now I think that one of the things I can do is just go out there and work hard for Kansas City and make the LGBT community proud. And then hopefully those last folks that have it stuck in their head that somehow we're not able to um, to be good leaders, that can start to fall away. Thanks to Councilwoman Jolie Justice for sharing her story with us. You can listen to this story again at our newly designed website, www.fountaincityfrequency.com. Fountain City Frequency is a new podcasting collective dedicated to telling Kansas City stories. You should also check out their new show, Ghost Notes, an investigation of Kansas City's music scene with host Hannah Copeland. All our music is original and written by composer Jamie Searle. Our digital and graphic work is done by Matthew Sullivan. I'm Matt Hodap. Thanks for listening.